0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB Program Underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting.
1: Welcome to AutoCorrect, helping you correct your auto problems. I'm Liz Gill, and I've got a special host just for today while Allison is away. Charlie Melton has been the automotive and diesel in the diesel field for over 29 years. He teaches at the Clinton Career Complex for the last 17 years and is a master ASE tech... Welcome, Charlie.
2: Well, glad to be here today.
1: Well, we're we're. Uh, what are your students doing without you today?
2: Well, they're going to do something on battery starting and charging. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what they're working on today.
1: Oh, well, that's great. Well, this this really is just universal. You were saying you were helping somebody just last night.
2: Yeah, I was helping a sixty-eight-year-old lady help her with her car that it would not start, and so we had to fix that. And she was a little antsy about what it could be, because she was stopped at Kroger and she had to get her car home. Right, So right. It was uh, it was one of those things that uh, end up being a starter and a ignition switch.
1: Well, that's an oh, ignition switch. See, that's something I didn't even mm. even think of. And I guess what what bothers me as a car owner and a car driver, it could be nothing. It could be just a little loose thing or you just need a jump. It could be nothing or it could be five, six hundred dollars that you have to replace. What
2: I try to tell my students is keep it simple, stupid. That is what we use. And we always go to the easiest thing first. Right. You know, and as a. Us being mechanics, we always want to go to the hardest thing first, <laughs> and that really messes up a lot of people.
1: Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about why your car won't start in between your vehicle repair question calls today. Once again, our number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464 and our email address auto at org. well let's go ahead we've got John who is no John's not quite ready we're going to so, Charlie, let's start with this. I'm in my car. The radio works. And you go to start the car. And it sounds like it wants to turn over, but it just won't.
2: Well, most likely that's going to be loose connections at the battery. Or it could be a bad battery going. Uh, that's going bad. And most of the time when you see a battery, when a car just barely turns over, most of the time, it happens in the wintertime. It right. doesn't really happen in the summertime because that's when batteries start going bad is in the summer and you really notice them in the wintertime.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah, I have been my kids were Murrah kids and I have gone to the Murrah parking lot, taken a battery out of the car, <laughs> taken it to Walmart, gotten a new one and, and, and put it back. So yeah.
2: Well, there's where a lot of people make mistakes, because what they do, they just think it's the battery, and they go buy a $150, $200 battery, put it in the car, it runs for two or three days, and the same
1: problem comes back. Okay. And if you take your battery out, you can get them to check it, right?
2: They they can check it, but most people just go get another battery, (laughs) and that was the problem.
1: Okay, so what if you're in your car, your car won't start, and you turn it, and it goes... Click, 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 click.
2: Once again, that is battery. Right. Or it could be the solenoid itself on the starter. Okay. You know, so not making connection. And a lot of times is uh, corrosion is what causes a lot of our problems with our batteries and starting systems.
1: Our car also had that <laughs> bristle brush that you kind of twist on like a, like a, a, a jar cap uh, cleaner in, in, to, to kind of get all that corrosive business off of The
2: lead. So what you're trying to do there, you're trying to clean the corrosion off the battery terminal and the battery cable. A lot of people make mistakes, and they say, well, we can pour coke on the battery terminals to clean it. That is not the way to
1: clean it. Okay. No coke, folks. No coke. All right. Let's go ahead and go to John in Magnolia. John, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. Good morning. How are you doing?
1: We're great. We're glad you called in.
3: Good morning. Yeah. I got a. 97 Topaz, so had a little Mercury, and uh, I drove it all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning I got up to go to church, it wouldn't start. And it would turn over when it get almost a crank, it go putt
2: Okay, so you say that the starter was turning the engine over, but it would not start.
3: It wouldn't start.
2: Okay, a lot of times you have these problems here, as the engine will turn over, it could have been a fuel problem. Uh, that's our ignition problem with the spark plugs, or spark plug wires. And to find out exactly what that would would be, you might want to take and put a uh, pressure test on the fuel line. Make sure that we have enough pressure from the fuel pump, because that will cause it on a lot of vehicles today is that the fuel pump, once it gets warm, it will stop. You cut the vehicle off and the vehicle will not crank back up until it cools off again.
3: Oh, OK. 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 <laughs> still make the car like they made the old hopes way back with all that electronic
2: stuff. Yeah, they have changed. You, you got all electronic things now in these cars and you almost had to be an engineer in order to fix a car today. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. But I don't know much, but I just wanted to check and see before I go and buy a fuel pump, because I don't want to have to buy a fuel pump, and that ain't that ain't the problem.
2: Yeah, but that would be the easiest thing to check. It's just your fuel pump uh, pressure, or even the easiest thing is to check your uh, fuel pump uh, relay and make sure that it's making connection every time. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes.
1: John, we're glad you called in. Let's go to Robert in Mobile. Robert, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. Go ahead.
4: Thank you. I uh, have a question about price. Uh, we recently had an alternator put in a 1996 uh, Honda Accord, and, uh, and the alternator is on the upper left of the engine, and it's easy access, and uh, he uh, charged us $322 put in the uh, alternator and i'm wondering if that's not a little bit excessive
2: was that including the part
4: yes it included the alternator and you know it's really only two bolts to put the thing in and two wires to or three wires to slip onto the pegs and it seems like uh that's a little exorbitant we call an D auto parts store mobile and they said a Bosch alternator would cost $119.95 retail.
2: And it's always according if it's a rebuilt uh, alternator or if it's a new alternator. Did they put a Denzel alternator on it? It's according really what type of alternator they put on it. And now, if you did you take it to a dealership or did you take it to a, just a general mechanic?
4: General mechanic. And he said he only used AC Delco, I think is what he said it was. Alternators. That's how he would use. So he wouldn't let us bring an alternator in. But the alternator part we priced was a Bosch brand new alternator at one hundred nineteen dollars.
2: Right. It's just according to how much they charge an hour. You know, uh, with overhead and stuff like that, different shops charge different uh, prices. I uh, do alternators and all, and sometimes they, I can buy alternators as much as 200 some odd dollars in order just for the price of the alternator. It's according to where you get it and who you get it from.
4: Yeah. Okie doke, man. Okay. Thank you. That, 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 that take care some.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Um, you know, price, I guess that's always something you want to talk about with your mechanic, but I guess your first thing is, I need my car fixed and I need it now, but you need to find out what they charge per hour and where they get their parts?
2: Well, really what they charge per hour is, can depend if it's a dealership or if it's a mom-and-pop shop. It just depends on where they can get the part and how much overhead they have. You know, I was thinking that in some shops they charge at least $75 to $150 an hour according what the problem could be.
1: Yeah, just to look at it. Just to look at it. That's right. And and that's why they look at it and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good deal. Okay, let's, let's go another scenario. What if you put your key in the car and you go to turn it and there's no sounds at all?
2: Well, a lot of times people put the key in there and the lights don't come on or anything else. And once again, you got to go all the way back to the battery, right? And that's usually your main problem is the connections of the battery. Mm -hmm. And uh, once again, as you keep it simple, stupid, right? Go in there, you fix the small problem, and then you move to the bigger problem because usually a starter you're going to have, you're not going to, you'll have the lights come on in the dash, but they just won't turn. The engines won't turn.
1: Are there battery testers that a person could have at their house?
2: You could buy a battery tester to test all the vehicle batteries that you want to use it on. Um, Once again, it's according to what you're looking for and how much knowledge you have to be able to test these batteries, because a lot of them would show 12 volts But really, the voltage is not what's creating everything. We need amperage to turn the starter.
1: Well, at one point, we had five cars at my house, and I sort of felt (laughs) like I was the mechanic, Uh, or I had to. The more accoutrements we had to diagnose things, the the safer I felt. (laughs) Right. All right. So, give us a call this morning. Our number is one. 877-MPB-RING That's one 672 7464 Our email address is auto at mpbonline.org We're going to continue our discussion of why won't my car start when we come back from our break with guest Charlie Melton. Is your car under recall? We're going to have a list of ones that are when we come back. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio.
5: You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. Do you have an extra car that you wash more than most people go to the dentist? Well, save some time and some water and donate it to us. Think about it. Rather than it sitting there taking up space, your extra car could be making public radio.
5: And when you donate it here, you may also qualify for a tax deduction.
0: Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org.
1: I'm Liz Gill, and today I'm excited to have Charlie Melton, a Clinton High School automotive instructor whose students have won seven AAA Ford competitions in the state of Mississippi and have gone on to national all seven times and have come in sixth out of 50 teams. Allison's going to be back next week. Now, if you can't listen to our show all the way through live, find our podcast or listen to us on the MPB public media app. Now, here are our Calls for January. All right, the 100,000 2011 and 2014 Hyundai Sonatas and the 2013 14 Santa Fe Sports and also 2300. 2019 Lincoln Nautilus. You can find out if your vehicle has a past recall by going to the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration's website nhtsa.gov slash recalls and inputting your VIN numbers. We're talking about why won't your car start in between your general vehicle repair questions. We hope you'll give us a call 1-877- MPB ring that's 1 672 7464. Our email is auto at org. And now we have a call, Ron from Brandon. Ron, thanks for calling in today.
6: Good morning. Uh, I just turned the radio on and I heard you talking about car batteries. Uh, I've got a 2015 Hyundai Sonata, and I had to put a battery in this car yesterday. And instead of having the old wet cell in it, they've got some kind of a new high-performance battery in it. That son of a gun was almost $200. Is this a new trend, or is this just something that's in the Hondas?
2: Well, all batteries today, if you think about it, lighter the battery Lower cost of the battery. Batteries are full of lead and acid, and so if you get a heavy battery that has more amperage, because batteries run off amperage, they all have 12 volts, but it's according how much amperage each battery has to start that car. And that is what you're paying for is the more amperage of the battery, the cold cranking amps.
6: Okay. Hey. Well, I'm almost 70 years old, so I've been around a long time with the old wet cell batteries. And this is just, it just caught me off guard. I'd never paid that much attention to the battery before, but uh, it just didn't want to crank right. So I said, well,. At my age, I don't want to get stuck somewhere, so I just had to put another battery in it. But that's it just right. kind
2: of caught me off guard. Yeah, they're pretty expensive. And uh, like I say, you can get one that is not as expensive for like two years or three years, but now batteries go up to five- and seven-year batteries.
6: The three-year, completely replaceable ones. So yes. It's, you know, it wasn't... Bottom of the line or anything like that, but you know, it. it I just, I just not heard anything about oh. it. It was just something new.
2: They are changing with the different ways that the uh, cards and the electronics right now, is because uh, instead of having a whole um, voltage regulator like they used to, now the computer operates the uh, generator or alternator to tell how much voltage is going in that battery only when it needs it.
6: Yeah, well, that was the reason I went ahead and changed this one out is because I knew with, with the new computers in it, if you don't have a, a decent charge in it, that, that the car is just going to quit. It's not like it was in the old days. You know, once you got it cranked up, it would run even if the alternator was not putting out like it was supposed to. Right. Um, with the new computers, it's you got to have a good charge or It's just not going to run.
2: You're exactly right. It'll go into uh, limp mode is what it's called, and just to get you to the shop. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate your show. Thank you so much.
1: Bye. Thanks, Ron. And I guess there are good, better, best on batteries.
2: Uh, yes, just like on any part, good, better, or best. It's uh, according really the price and how they're made. What parts are remanufactured. You have remanufactured parts. You have new parts. And you have OEM, and OEM is original equipment manufacturer. A lot of the uh, parts companies they. Build the batteries or build the parts up to specifications, but they're not always the same. All
1: right. Well, if you want to call in, and if you have a uh, "Why won't my car start?" question, or if you have any automotive question, that's what we're here for today. Charlie Melton, uh, Clinton High School uh, automotive instructor from the the Career Complex, is with us today. Allison will be, be back next week. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's 1-877-672-7464 or email auto at mpbonline.org and we do have an uh, automotive question my name is william and i have a 1999 dodge caravan that until the engine warms up wants to keep shutting off this only happens when it's in drive if I start it up and leave it in park, it's fine. I don't really think it's the thermostat. Do you have any idea of what could be the issue.
2: Well, in a lot of cars today, you have an open-loop system and you have a closed-loop system. And the open-loop system is that the computers in the cars today are just using certain sensors. And then when as the engine warms up to operating temperature, now the vehicle will use all these sensors to be able to control the fuel system. And that means that the computer will tell the injectors exactly how much fuel to put in the vehicle as it reads the air going into the vehicle. And now your problem could be is that if you look at your duct work coming from your air, air filter, there could be a small hole in there where it's sucking more air and the computer cannot read. And so therefore it's only putting a certain amount of fuel in it that it read coming past the mass airflow sensor.
1: So is there any, what, does that change whether he has it in park or he has it in drive?
2: Uh, yes, because the vehicle needs more fuel as you're driving.
1: All right. All right. Well, William, I hope you're listening. If not, I will email you back because we want to make sure when our listeners contact us, they get the information that they've uh, requested. One thing about the the batteries, uh, I, I said, you know, we have Five. I don't pay insurance on all five cars anymore. Yay. Oh, that's good. I have a daughter who has a real job. So, uh, But we do have a Saturn Ion, and the battery is in the trunk um, somewhere. (laughs) But there's a place to connect the the jumper cables uh, under the hood. Do other cars have peculiarities like that if you're going to go to jump it?
2: Yeah, if you think about it, uh, a lot of your foreign cars will put the batteries in the trunk. Some of them, uh, even like the Corvette, will put batteries under the seat, <laughs> <laughs> under the rear seat. So there are different places that uh, manufacturers put the battery, just wherever they can find a space for them. And you will jump them off the same way as up front. They usually have a positive uh, terminal somewhere up front under the engine, and then you would connect
1: it there. And as we always say... Read your owner's manual. That's right. That is right. <laughs> Read your owner's manual. Um, are there different things to try if your car won't start? If it's an automatic versus a manual? Because I know you can kind of pop it if it's a if it's a manual transmission.
2: Well, if you think a lot now on new cars, if it's a automatic or a. Standard that you would have to either push the clutch in in order for it to start, or you'd have to push on the brake in order for it to start. So, if you're looking at certain things to make the vehicle not start, it could be your clutch switch or your brake switch not working as well. So, there's so many different things. It even could be your uh, automatic transmission that it's not in gear, that if you put it in, it's not all the way in park.
1: I've had that. <laughs> I've had that. <laughs> All right, let's go to Timothy in Memphis. Timothy, thanks for calling into Autocorrect today. Go ahead.
7: Hi, I have a 2012 Kia Soul. It's a manual transmission, which I'm not really used to. But recently, the engine seems to be louder, and it, I've started noticing it never goes over say 25,000 RPMs is that a problem
2: As it gets louder is the vehicle not moving as much have you ever noticed uh, like the en- the transmission you're not going as fast as the engine RPMs pick up
7: I'm I seem to be you know there's no problem with my pickup or anything so I just it's- uh, I first noticed the noise that the engine seemed to be louder and then I started trying to figure it out, and I just started noticing, huh, Does has it never gone over 25,000? I never really looked at RPMs until recently.
2: Usually the RPMs on uh, on a vehicle is anywhere from about 8 to 1,200 at idle, and it could go up to 18 to 2,500 driving down the highway. Okay, so if I'm in sixth gear going
7: sixth, 70 miles an hour it's not really supposed to go higher
2: uh no as a matter of fact it should go a little bit lower due to that you're uh, in overdrive and uh. that means that the transmission is a little less than one to one and it should be going about the transmission should be going about as fast as the engine is turning as well okay
7: yeah just you know i noticed that the you have up to 7,000 RPMs. And I was one, you know, like I say, I don't know anything about oh. this.
2: When they talk about the 7,000, you see 6,000, 7,000 up there. Well, that means mm-hmm. that that engine can run that fast, but it never gets that fast unless you're, it's called redlining. And that means that you got all the RPMs in that uh, engine will do. And that's a different story. <laughs> that's more for racing.
7: Okay. Well, I'm not racing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you.
1: Timothy, we like manual transmission cars in our family. We like to think of them as anti-theft devices. That's right.
7: Yeah. That's right. Well, and that's why, that's why I bought it. It was, uh, it was on a used car lot, and they
2: couldn't get rid of it.
1: So they, they
2: practically gave it to me. Yeah, a lot of people don't have manual transmissions.
1: Yeah, we specifically looked for one when we we just got our Honda Civic, and uh, we liked saving $1,000, and now my other daughter can't drive it. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Timothy.
7: Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah.
1: All right. Our topic today is, is it the battery, the starter, the alternator? And we're taking your car repair questions after the break with our guest, Charlie Melton, Master ASE Tech. Uh, What's an unreliable car not to buy? I'm glad you asked. Hang on, and we're going to get to that. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio.
0: You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio.
1: Thank you for listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. I'm Liz Gill. And for today only, we're excited to have as our guest Charlie Melton from the Clinton High School Career Complex, and a, a master ASC tech with 39 years' experience. Consumer Reports has a list of 108... 2007 to 16 models that have a record of much worse than average overall reliability based on their subscriber responses to their annual survey. Today, we're going to caution you about... the ram 1500 model years 2014 and 15 please consider reading up on the reliability of this car before purchasing it as used as a used car suggests consumer reports Complaints.com is another resource for unreliable unreliable car lists. Those Rams, they just can't catch a break this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you're interested in reviews of new cars, Casey Williams is the automotive correspondent for W. FYI, a public radio station in Indianapolis, and he's reviewed cars and covered the auto industry for 25 years. He has a new review of the GMC Sierra. We'll have a link to this and other information that we talk about today on our website and our podcast. Let's go to Kay in Clarksdale. Kay, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect this morning. Go ahead.
5: Hi, I have a battery question. Everybody always uses my car to jump off whatever is dead. Um, And I keep telling people like my son not to do that because it's going to hurt the battery in my car. Am I telling him a story or is it going to make my battery as unreliable as theirs? And then I have a second question. When we were at the dealer with my husband's truck, It was dead, and the guy came out with a suitcase-like thing and started the battery right up without jumper cables. Is that something I should look at getting into?
2: Yes. The first thing that you can talk about is that the jumping off somebody else's vehicle with your vehicle, that's not going to hurt your vehicle unless they uh, hook the battery cables up backwards. And then if they hook the ca- battery cables up backwards, it will either blow up fuse or fry your computer in your car. So,
1: Read your owner's manual.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you just got to make sure that somebody knows what they're doing when they uh, use your car to jump off a car that's dead.
1: And what about uh, this suitcase, magic suitcase?
2: Well, what that suitcase is, it is called a jump box, and it has a lot of amperage in it, and once again, a lot of people are using those. That's what we use at the school to jump off cars, but the main thing is that they can—they have a 24-volt and a 12-volt switch on it, and it's according to which switch you have to be careful, once again, if you use a jump box as well, and you need to make sure that the positive and negative are connected correctly.
5: So, what does
2: the car use? A twenty-four or twelve? Uh, ah, cars use twelve volts. Okay. So that's okay. You ju- just gotta I be. I live
5: on a farm, so it is. It, it, we're always jumping something.
2: Yeah, a jump box would be good for that uh, because you can carry it around and it holds a charge uh, quite a bit. And they go up to a thousand amps or more, so that, a jump box would be really good for that.
5: Okay, great. Well, I really, really appreciate that because I am a complete idiot when it comes to cars so thank you very much thank
2: you
1: so who uses a 24?
2: Uh, just different. There are some farm equipment that use 24, and most of the time it is 12 volts, almost everything.
1: All right. If you have a question about why won't your car start, this is the place to call today. We've got a Charlie Melton is our guest from the Clinton High School Career Complex. Our number is 1-877-672-7464. Now we're going to Greg in Meridian. Greg, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead.
3: All uh, right, thank you. Uh, I'm having a starting issue problem. Hello.
1: Yeah, well, tell us about your starting issue problem.
3: It's it it turning over pretty pretty well, and uh, but it just won't start. Okay, so. I, I would spray some uh, starting fluid in it. it, it'll start and run.
2: Okay, so it, it cranks if you put starting fluid in it. So most likely what I would look at is the fuel pump itself. Because if, okay. it is, if it'll start, when you put some type of other uh, propellant in it, that usually it is the fuel pump.
3: Okay, I got about 40, three uh, 40, uh fuel pressure on, on on the uh in the tank on the rear right and, and this is uh twenty
2: oh one dodge right, as it comes up to the rail you 'll have fuel pressure, then, as it gets to the fuel pump uh, fuel pressure rail sensor, it will either reduce the fuel pump pressure or it will increase the fuel pump pressure so i would if you got fuel pressure up there, I would go ahead and check the uh, fuel pump uh, not the fuel pump the fuel pump sensor on the rail okay what i 'm
3: trying to see would that be enough pressure the store that uh, that's a 360 engine and uh, I I looked at it in some other material where you have to have at least uh, 50 55 pressure
2: yeah they check the fuel pressure either at just when the pumps cut on when you turn the key on where it primes it up and then it will test it while it is running and they have two different settings Uh, different vehicles have different fuel pressure
3: right okay All right. and, uh and I, I put the uh, the uh, o, o, OBD uh, code reader right one the, uh, and it said no ASD relay output voltage at the PCM.
2: Okay just talking about that one of the sensors uh, it doesn't have any voltage at the PCM from it. Right. Okay, uh, once again, on most of these sensors, you would have a 5 volts reference going to these sensors, and you would have right. to check that, and a lot of times that could be a ground going back to the PCM as well, you know, so what I would do is look at that code a little bit further and see if you can trace what that code is telling you. Okay, would
3: that have anything to do with the pump, the fuel pump itself?
2: I'm not sure. would have to know that code. And at that year, model, that was a 97, you said? Uh, 2001. Oh, 201, yeah. So really, you'd have to look at it and just see what it says, what it's all involved. Is that the only code that's in the vehicle? Right, right. Yeah, I would look at that code first and just see exactly what it means in order to uh, go from there. Okay,
3: then. All right. Thank you.
2: Okay, thank you.
3: All right.
1: Greg, we're so glad that you called in. We're taking everyone's calls today. One eight seven seven MPB Ring. I'm Liz Gill here with Charlie Milton, uh, automotive technician for 39 years. And now we're going to go to Kevin N. Jackson. Kevin, thanks for calling into AutoCorrect. Go ahead.
8: Thank you, and good morning. Uh, so I got a much lower tech question, pretty dumb question. Uh, so, I've been a, my wife and I've been in one car household for some time, but we're looking to buy a second car. And I'm gonna give my wife the nice car that I have. I'm looking to find the easiest car to maintain over a hundred thousand miles. Like really low tech, manual transmission, nothing complicated. Something that I can very happily take to my local shade tree mechanic and not have to worry about any complicated parts or anything complicated just something that will run and if it doesn't somebody can bang on it for a little while and then it'll run again
2: what year are you looking for
8: any year I mean going back (laughs) uh, you know any uh, that's the honest truth just you know Ninety years, 40 years, you know, I'm not worried
2: about it. When you start talking about either it's a newer vehicle or an older vehicle, newer vehicles from, I would say, in the 90s on up is all electronics. Uh, you can't really just take it to somebody and they can bang on it. But if you get below 80s and all, they can bang on it and they will—they can fix it. If a fuel pump goes out, they can usually tap on the tank and it'll start running again. But if you're if really looking for a car, and I'm not really telling people what cars to get, but I have a Toyota that has 322,000 miles on it. a little oh, wow. A little Toyota Camry. But in turn, I have a F-150, a 98 model that has 228,000 miles on it. So once again, how they're maintained and how they're taken care of, that usually determines if the vehicle is going to be a good one, especially a used vehicle. Absolutely. Yes.
8: Yeah, I I currently drive a a Toyota Camry, and to be honest, I bought the car for the, the warranty and the reliability because the car I had before was a Volkswagen GTI whose computer system tried the engine, and that was fun.
2: Yeah, a lot of uh, people today, they go out and they try to find a car that they can uh, really use every day. And if you're going to look at a used car, just make sure that you can see the maintenance records on it. And I think that's the main thing today is that it's very important to change the oil at the time that it's posted at the right interval. So that's one really important thing.
8: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I uh, will to keep an eye on those things. Uh, like I said, I uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for your show and uh, your input.
2: Thank you.
1: Oh, Kevin, we're so glad that you called in. Let's go ahead and go to Bonnie in Flowood. Bonnie, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. My question is we're now
5: getting ready to purchase a, a new truck, and I want to buy a used truck, maybe uh, at least one year old or and the question is, what do you recommend, say, for the South, for a good, reliable truck that's only going to be used for pleasure?
2: Once again, as you talk about using, getting a truck or any type of car, it's according to what type of truck and what you say you're going to be using it to drive down the highway? or you are going to be using it just every now and then or what are you going to be doing with it?
5: Well, the highway around in the city, uh, no kind of work or anything. Maybe a little hole if you have to pick up some strawberry or something like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you travel with it, maybe good gas mileage, um, good warranty, good maintenance.
2: Yeah, most of the vehicles today—if you think about trucks—if it's a Ford, Chevrolet, Toyota, whatever—maybe they have uh, extended warranties, and they have most warranties on new vehicles are now are about three thousand. I mean, three years, thirty-six thousand miles, and if it's—if you want a uh, luxurious uh, truck. It's just according to how much you want to pay for it and how much you want to put in it. Because all the different things that you put into a vehicle, you know, as well as I do, that they cost a little bit more money if you want leather, if you didn't want leather, if you wanted uh, heated seats, you know, stuff like that.
1: Bonnie, I'm going to chime in. We did buy a used car in December, and what worked for us we used the free website car Guru, CarGuru, carguru.com, and uh, my husband did, so I'm not quite sure what he put in, but it notified us when there was what they considered a good deal, and when we went to go look at different cars, we did get a car fax from the dealership. We I think we we just looked at dealerships, not individuals who were selling their own cars, and the carfax listed the previous owners and their mileages and we i did just speak with someone from carfax a couple weeks ago we're going to have that audio on the show later some uh, dealerships can report to carfax when they've had vehicle maintenance and that will help you verify that a used car has had maintenance and it's um, been taken care of.
2: And accidents as well. Carfax will tell you if the vehicle has been in an accident as well.
1: Thank you so much. That additional information
5: is very helpful. Thank you.
1: Thank you. You're welcome, Bonnie. All right. We're going to continue discussing sounds the car makes or doesn't make when it starts when we come back from the break. We're also taking your repair questions with our guest, Charlie Melton, Master ASC Tech. Our number is one mpb ring That's one You can send us an email Our address is auto at mpbonline.org What's new in the news? I'll let you know in one minute This is AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio Welcome back to AutoCorrect. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org auto. I'm Liz Gill with Charlie Milton from the Clinton High School Career Complex, who started his automotive career in the Army. Allison's going to be back next week. And here is what is in the news this week. <music> cybersecurity company, Synopsys, and an automotive industry company, SAE International, surveyed 15,900 IT security practitioners and engineers in the automotive industry. Now, ready for this? Said 88% of respondents worry that automakers aren't keeping pace with the industry's rapidly changing security threats unauthorized remote access to the vehicle network and the potential for attackers to pivot to safety critical systems puts at risk not just drivers personal information but their physical safety as well the study found that's scary to think about Charlie (laughs) you know I
2: will tell you that um, there was a company out there and they're still in uh, business that their computers were hacked and with this electric steering It was pulling the cars off the road. Because somebody hacked their computers.
1: Well, I, I I I try to leave a live a clean life. <laughs> I don't know that anybody would want to hack in and purposely drive me off the road. But you know when what was it our our caller uh, Kevin who wanted a car without the computers? Yes. that's not happening. <laughs> it's not
5: happening today.
1: <laughs> All right, we're going to finish out this hour. We've got uh, Homer from Clarksdale. Homer, thanks for calling in today. Go Go ahead.
9: Hey, how you doing? We're um, great. I love this show. The the I I, I have a six point two GMC uh, Center Denali. Uh, it's got a couple hundred thousand miles on it. Uh, when I started up, it's been serviced regularly. Uh, a couple of times, uh, my wife had to oil change in the truck and. That guy overfilled it. Um, The engine now, when I crank it up, before it gets warm, the oil pressure is fine. Once it heats up, the oil pressure just drops back. Um, Are you familiar with, uh, pretty familiar with that? I've I've looked looked at it online. People say it might be a sensor. I've talked to people, they say you got internal stuff going on with the camshaft. I've had the oil pump replaced. Eight hundred bucks. No good. Doing the same thing it did.
6: Well, and let on me, the guy uh,
9: who who wants a Toyota, I mean who wants a, a good vehicle with with all the if if he if he likes trucks, <laughs> I've owned about four or five of those Nissan trucks, four cylinders, ran them over three hundred thousand miles that one that 370 runs perfect uh, low computer because <laughs> he just got one computer on if he, if he hit the early 90 models uh, great great vehicles I'm not trying to push Nissan that's just been my experience with. It.
2: And that's good about uh, different vehicles like that. It's according uh, who has them and what the experiences with them. But let's talk about your oil pressure problem. Your oil pressure problem, you know, as you just said that uh, he has overfilled your uh, oil several times after it's been uh, changed. First of all, overfilling a engine with oil makes it aerate, and when it aerates, that means that it's not lubricating because there's air flowing all through the system. So that's one thing that could cause wear and tear on that engine, you know, because of the aeration. But what I would do if it was me, the first thing I would do if I thought it was a sensor, I would take the oil sending unit out, put a pressure gauge in there, an oil pressure gauge, and see what type of pressure I have as the vehicle is running after it got warm. Because that's really the only way that you can tell if that sensor is bad or if the vehicle itself has oil pressure. You know, as it gets warm, because what it do, that oil will start getting thin, and it uh-huh. will it will lose some oil pressure, but not as much as uh, people think sometimes. Because if you even think about a vehicle, it can go down to two or three pounds of oil pressure before that oil pressure light even comes on, and you can already cause damage by that. Because like you say, you uh, it could be up to 40 or 50 pounds when it's cold. Okay. So, what I do, the thank first you. thing is do the oil pressure test where the sending unit is. Okay.
4: Appreciate it.
2: Okay, thank Y'all
1: you. Have a good one. All right, Homer. We're glad. All right. And uh, Kevin, you get to be our last call. Uh, go ahead, please. And thanks for calling to autocorrect.
5: Hey,
8: how are you guys doing? Uh, Great. So, I heard you guys had a ASC certified mechanic uh, as your guest today. That's, and I've got a friend who is uh, going into that field. Um, great guy, knows a bunch about cars. But his one question would, is, uh, what brand of tools would you recommend for a, uh, say, somebody who's just cutting their teeth with uh, at, at like a dealership or something? Uh, he's kind of weary about you know the Snap On guy trying to sell him you know five hundred dollar socket set. So. Uh, just trying to figure out, uh, what's your
2: opinion on that? Well, this is how I tell all my students, because some students want good tools that will last much longer than the average tools. If he's going to go into the business, if he's going to do it for a living, then he may want to get a good set of tools. And they don't have to be snap-on. They could be uh, craftsmen. But mainly, I use, uh, in my toolbox itself, I use Cornwell tools. you know. So it's according if he's going to go into the business and how much money he wants to spend for the good tools, because like I say, you can get cheap tools and they will break. They'll strip the uh, nuts and bolts out or they'll make you hurt yourself and throw the wrench across the room. <laughs> you know, you've seen that before, but it's just according to how much money he wants to spend and if he's going to use them. Because, you know, that's me. I would not buy a tool that um, would tear up on me. No matter what it was, if you know, I had paid as much as twenty or thirty dollars for a wrench, but as paid as little as five and six dollars, according to what I needed at the time.
1: All right, Kevin, we're glad that you called in. I hope that helps your friend. Uh, you know, this is this this has come by fast, Charlie. It has. <laughs> this is going to wrap us up for autocorrect. Um, I am so grateful that you were able to come in today and and sit with me while we. Talk to the state of Mississippi and Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Tennessee.
2: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And like I say, if there's anything I can do again. And like I say, just some of the questions that we had are simple. Some of them were harder. Just got to understand the automobile today.
1: All right. So this has been uh, Charlie Melton from the Clinton High School Career Complex Master ASE Tech. Uh, we're so glad that you joined us. Um, our call screener today has been Jay White. Our board engineer is Michelle McAdoo. I'm Liz Gill. Allison Walker, the lady, Autumn McTannock, you've just got to go find her on Facebook to see what all she's up to this week. She is off having some fun. Up next is our Thursday Southern Remedy show, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Morgan McLeod. But we hope you'll join us again next Thursday at 10 a.m. for AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio.